The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast, the show that proves no one stumbles upon success ever. With your host, Lou Need. Every Mondays and Thursdays, we deliver cold heart evidence behind the power of a robust morning routine. Get ready to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hello, morning enthusiasts. Welcome to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lunit, and today I have the honor and pleasure of introducing a very special guest to the show, Amanda Robidoux. She is the founder, CEO of Art Collective, and she has been doing this for over 15 years in, in helping um, businesses grow using effective marketing strategy and scaling practices, which we all need because we know marketing is like the lifeline of our business. And so we need to be strategic about how we, we position ourselves. And so I have her on today because I do want to talk to her about all her experience. She has, she has worked with big corporations. Um, she has been building her business for over 15 years. I work for um, B2B businesses. So it's an honor to have her on here today. So with no further ado, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Tell us about your journey. I know marketing is, is big, but super, super important. How did you get started? So I am a marketer by way of sales, which you, you don't hear a lot about that. But I actually started off at a startup company and I worked in sales. So I, I carried a bag. I had to go out and meet with the clients. And then you know I left that particular startup to go get my MBA where I studied marketing. But it's interesting because that experience of being in sales has shaped so much of the way I think about marketing and how I always start with the client or the target audience mm-hmm. or the ideal customer pro- profile first, because I spent so many years face-to-face with clients, talking with them, listening to them. And it's so important what they say and to listen to what they say. And then it really makes the job of marketing that much easier if you're really listening closely to your clients or your target yeah. audience. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk more about marketing because there's so much we can get into it. But I'm curious about the fractional CMO. Uh, I've been hearing that there's fractional CEOs, fractional CMOs. Tell me what does that look like um, in terms of partnership and ownership? Yeah. So it's interesting because when I set out to start Arch Collective, I didn't even know the term fractional CMO myself. I went into starting this business because... I had been at that time interviewing for full-time roles with multiple different um, startup companies for the CMO position. And as I was interviewing, I kept hearing the same problems repeated with each of the different startups with some slight nuances uh, depending on their industry. But they were all post-Series A funded tech startups. 
And I, I walked away and I was like, why can't I just work for all of these companies at the same time? Because they all need the same things and I would be super efficient and it'd be better for everyone if I was doing it all at the same time because then they could like pay me a good amount, but like split the fee. And so once I said it, I sort of was like, well, why don't I go and do that? And so it was actually one of my clients that said, oh, you're a fractional CMO and use that term with me. And now I'm seeing the term fractional executive, um, whether it's a CFO or a CEO or everything. And and I think it gained a lot of momentum, this idea of um, hiring part-time or interim executives, because as we've all read in the newspapers over these last few years, there's been such a tight labor market that finding the right people who are qualified um, to come work for you has been challenging. And so being able to hire someone who has expertise in your industry or in your market that can come in and do great work, but not for the same as a, a full price mm-hmm. or a full-time executive was very attractive to especially a lot of these startups that that have been getting funding. So I've, I've sort of carved out my niche, which is B2B tech startup companies that are post-Series A funded. And that's as a fractional CMO, my clients all fit into, into that category. But you know, you can certainly find fractional CMOs or fractional executives across industry, or excuse me, across company size and company stage. Hmm. So the, the fractional it allows you to have is it there any ownership, partial ownership, or just an interim in the meantime type of position until we can find the right talent to fit this role? Yeah, well, it's it's mostly the latter where I come in for you know a set amount of time and and serve as their chief marketing officer. You know, with some of my startup clients, you know, I do have equity that I get from my clients, so there is that part mm-hmm. of ownership. But not not all of the clients. Like if it's a shorter term engagement or we're doing just something more simplified and project, I don't take equity. But you know, it really the way that I work with my clients changes depending on the client. I do have a playbook, you know, for my experience in, in marketing companies, you know, over the last 20 years. But you know, as far as how I work with them and what those engagements look like, each is a little bit different because it depends on on what the client needs. And I like to think that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It is custom and curated depending on the client and their needs. Yeah. And how are you scaling? Is it just you? Do you have a bunch of Amandas running around? Do you train? That's very scary. <laughs> no, the, uh, there, so yes, I, there is more than just Amanda. Um, in fact, it's interesting, you know, we were, we were talking about motherhood and all of that. And when, um, I was in the stage of looking at CMO opportunities, I was also in the process of having my second child. And one of the groups I was actively involved in was the Golden Gate Mothers Group, which is one of the largest mothers group in the country, mm-hmm. but it's, it's based in San Francisco. And through that process, I met a lot of amazing women who were struggling to, you know, take time to spend with their new child, but, you know, then re-enter the workforce after an extended, you know, period of leave. And so a lot of these women who had amazing backgrounds, worked with big companies, had great impact on these, you know, went to Stanford, went to these amazing schools. They were still struggling to get back into the workforce. And so they were freelancing themselves. And so one of the, the thoughts I had as I was starting Arch Collective is, 
I've got this amazing network of women in particular, which has now expanded beyond women, but these amazing freelancers that I would love to be able to tap in and help them build their freelance businesses and fill in the gaps where I may not have the experience or the time. And then as I got into clients, the the collective is what I call my network of freelance marketers and creatives. But this this collective has evolved and you know, startups. They may have funding, but they don't have a ton of money. And a lot of yeah. times there's multiple competing needs for, for that investment money that's just come in. So, you know, one of the things I bring to the table is yes, I can be your fractional CMO and be extremely strategic and get the right plans in place. But I also have this collective which can come in and execute on the work for a much more cost-efficient approach. And they've been vetted. I manage them. You know, I'm responsible for the work that they do. And that's something that my clients really appreciate because they get the strategy and the execution without you know the major price tag that could come with it when you bring on a, an agency. I love that model. I love that business model because it replicates and it looks similar to mine. And so that's yeah. the value of because of execution, because you think a lot of startups, they don't have the resources, money or human capital, but they also don't have the know-how. And so when, when you come in and kind of provide the team to actually execute on the plans that you're putting together with the CEO, the startups, it is invaluable. And I agree, you know, which, and, and this is what my clients say too. In fact, they're like, I had one say, you know, I love that you just handle everything. Like, Yes, of course, I'm talking about what I'm doing with marketing and I, I'm meeting with the executive teams and presenting to boards and all that good stuff. But it's really like they've got this person that just handles, you know, the hiring, the management, the execution, you know, the results and everything is, is taken care of. So it's one less thing for a startup founder to have to worry about. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that you do handle. You just mentioned the, the snippets of it, the human capital, the onboarding, the all that good stuff. What else do you and your team take care of? So, you know, I put together hiring plans, you know, and building out the marketing team because often at the stage I'm coming in, there's no full-time marketing team. And so while, of course, it's great if we're always using freelancers, at some point you do want a, a full-time team in place. So building out the team, you know, starting to implement all of the different things necessary to build what I call a data-driven marketing engine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always think of it as the infinity loop where you've got content and product marketing and all of that. And then you've got the digital side or the performance marketing, which is taking all the content, putting it into campaigns, executing them, reporting back on what's working, which then feeds into how the, the copy and the content and everything mm-hmm. needs to change. So starting to help some of these startup companies start to look and act like bigger companies so that they can go out and raise more money or you know potentially not need to raise more money because they start to move towards profitability. So it's all of the basic building blocks of marketing, building the team, presenting to investors, working with the executives on product road mapping, launching products. Basically, you name it and we've probably done it. Yeah, that is phenomenal. I like the infinity loop. Um, yeah. aspect of it. So what are some marketing strategies that new businesses can and owners can kind of use to get their, let's say, organization in the eyes of the client to be the the one that stands out? And one of the things, that, and this goes back to my experience in sales, you know, one of the things that I, I tell anyone if they're looking for, like, what is the one thing I can do I would say, pick up the phone and talk to your current customers. 
And why is that so important? It go, they will tell you, you know, why they bought from you, the competitors that they evaluated, how they're using you, the impact you're having on your business. Or if they're not happy, you know, it's a great way to start that conversation and understand why did this work out? What could we have done better? And like, did, did we promise one thing and not deliver on that? And so like, is our messaging wrong? You know, the way that yeah. we're communicating the value of the company. And, you know, of course, it's also a great way to build good relationships with your customers too, to let them know you're interested and you're listening. And so everything I do in marketing starts with the client, starts with the customer in mind. And so talking with them, it's going to help you have better messaging. It's going to help you know the channels that you should be spending money on to reach them. Like I said, it's going to help you, you know, with your product roadmapping and knowing, okay, hey, these are places where we could improve or you know these are the reasons why they love us is that the same thing that we thought you know we mm-hmm. were adding value with and so it's really a great chance to get inputs to help make all of the aspects of your marketing and your sales and your product roadmap better so if someone was only able to do one thing i'd say pick up the phone and start talking to customers and on the flip side if you don't have any customers because you're so early look at your network and figure out who looks like the customers you want, you know, or, yeah. you know, who's got the same titles or they're in the same industry. And if you don't know those people, well, then start using your network to make introductions so you can talk to the people who you want to be your customers and kind of doing a, a different approach, but still trying to learn as much as you can. That's the yeah. best thing to do. That is sound advice. And it goes hand in hand with doing the, the market research. Is your product viable? Like, do you have an MVP? And also, does anyone want it? And also getting feedback so you can tweak the product if need be. Do you find it that you work with others? Some people that are just, they don't have a product, but they have a service. But what's the difference do you see in terms of the marketing strategies you put in place? Yeah, they're, you know, services are are different than products. And, you know, I think the pandemic has really shown where we saw a huge drop off in some services, you know, like, People were going to get their nails done or their hair done because they couldn't or restaurants. Um, but then we saw, you know, products taking off where people said, Oh, I'm going to spend money on, you know, new sweatsuits or, you know, a new camera for my computer or whatever because they were working from home. So it, it does take a slightly different approach, but I think it all comes back to the customer, right? So if it, you're offering a service, then I'll use the nail salon. I've never marketed a nail salon. So I'm making this up <laughs> off the flag, but like. You know, if you want to be, you know, working with a certain demographic, what if you want to be working with young customers because you're really good at like nail art or doing things that are really crazy or untraditional? Well, then where are those, that particular demographic? How are they finding new nail salons? Right. You know, how, like, where do they go for their information? Are they on social media? Are they looking at Yelp? You know, and so understanding where your understanding your clients helps you understand where your clients are at, where they're getting information, and then lets you know the best way to reach them. Yeah, best way to reach your clients. Um, that that's better on where they are, where to find them. Is that, that you know meet them where they're at, so to speak. Yeah. That tried and true yep. phrase. Yeah. Get it right out of my mouth. That's why I was going because then <laughs> a lot of times you that's the physical aspect, but now you need to find out where they're hanging out on media on online, which social handle are they using more than others? Yeah. And then you, that, that's where you keep your traffic going, that's where you focus in, yeah. And, and it's 
you know, you may hear people say, oh, like you need to be like obsessed with your clients. And it sounds silly, but it's, it's true, right? Like the more that you understand that person that you're trying to, to market to, or that you're trying to bring on as a client or a customer or what have you, the more you understand them, like what worries them, what makes them happy? Where do they go? Like all of those things will make you, you know, better at what you do. And they're going to also make you more efficient at how you're getting a return on your investment dollars. Cause you're not having to try 20 things and hoping one of those things work. If you really understand them, you'll be able to take all that money and put it exactly where you need to put it that you know, we're going to get you um, that, you know, will get you a return on your investment and get more clients. Get the results that you're looking for. And I want to share exactly. with just a little bit of marketing plans. You know, it comes along with the business plan. And a lot of times they're super generic only because you don't have the someone like yourself to help execute it or to have a team to help you execute it. Tell us about marketing plan tactics, best practice to creating mm-hmm. one. I've created a lot of marketing plans because all of my clients need one in, in some yep. form or fashion. And so, you know, I, I basically, I have a a six week process that I use to create a marketing plan and I can hit on the different, what happens in each week at a very high level. And if you go to my website, there's, you know, tutorials and videos and all that. So if you want to learn how to make a marketing plan, lots of um, resources, but basically I start by doing a marketing audit. So looking at all of their assets And then, of course, looking into if they've been doing any digital campaigns, a digital audit to like see how are they doing on Google Mm -hmm. Analytics? What are their conversion rates? You know, lots of understanding the current state of the business. Mm -hmm. And then this is going to sound familiar, but then I start talking to their clients. I do internal and external interviews where I like to speak with at least five clients. So doing voice of client interviews. And then I want to make sure I interview folks across the organization. Of course, if there's marketing people, salespeople, um, and then the executives in the company. And then, you know, throughout this process, I start to develop hypotheses on what I think they need. And then each of the steps is helping me validate and refine those, um, that hypothesis or hypotheses. And so then once I've done voice of client interviews, I start to say, okay, I'm shaping this plan. What am I missing? Are there, is there other information I want? And that's where I, it's, this is a little bit of the, you know, the, um, the, the white space, meaning do I attend some webinars in the industry? You know, if I'm like, Hey, what are people talking about? What's top of mind with the clients I might be going after? Or if I have in my network, any sort of expert or, you know, subject matter expert, I'll reach out and do interviews with them. I might do additional marketing research. So that's a little bit of a catch all. Like, what information was I able to glean in the previous weeks? Mm-hmm. What seems missing for me to validate my hypotheses? And then ultimately, I put together an initial you know, draft, including a high-level budget, share it with the client, talk through, make sure we're on the same page. If we are, then I do a deeper dive on the budget. And then basically, in five to six weeks, I've got a plan and I'm ready to start executing. Hmm. I like that. I like that. And it's, it's, it's tailored. Now, are you giving enough details in terms of like turn-by-turn directions of what's going to be posted, when they're going to be posted? Because that usually comes in later, right? Because you're doing the overview. Yeah. So that the plan would involve more like, we're going to focus on these channels. And then if we're going to do... If you want a, a content you know, strategy or your content mapping, you might do that like a month or two out and then say, okay, here's what we're going to talk about. And these are the posts. 
and, and whatnot. That, that tends to not be that level of detail may not be in the marketing plan, but that's something when we're executing, you know, I would say once you start executing on the plan, that's where you have to be flexible because if you start yeah. to see, oh, wow, we're like our videos on YouTube. I mean, like we're getting millions of views. Well, then keep going there and like, you know, or start looking at the numbers to make sure, oh, you might be getting views, but are they from your ideal customer? Are they from a different audience? And so you've got to adjust your content. Assuming that things are going right, you may decide to reallocate budget from going to events to just focusing on YouTube videos. So, you know, evaluating and looking at the numbers month over month and making sure that you're, you know, you're optimizing things, you're being smart about where the money's being spent once the, the marketing plan is in execution mode, you know, is, is always important. You can't take your eye off the prize because you never know yeah. what might happen. Yeah. And then you're learning as you go. You got to start. You got to start to learn and get that feedback, that customer feedback, that client feedback, that audience feedback, so you can tweak and see what's working and kind of rent and repeat. And I always, you know, marketing, I'm not the only one to say this, but marketing is, is, is art and science. And I'm like, if it was all science, then every company would be successful, right? Because yeah. it would be just be a formula to execute. Yeah. And so there is that art side. And so, you know, no one knows with 100% certainty what exactly is going to work. And if people say they do, you know, I might ask a few follow-up questions, but it's like the idea is that with every decision you make, learn as much as you can. Make sure that you're getting enough back that you can learn and then make your next best decision from there. And I totally agree where you got to start somewhere. But if you're going to start, be smart about how you're starting and make sure you're measuring and testing and documenting so that you're continuing to learn and iterate and improve on those metrics. Oh, I, I could talk to you forever, Amanda. I can. <laughs> I, tell me about your morning routine. How do you get up, dress up and show up? Sure. Well, I I love working out. And so one of the first things I do is I start off my day with the workout. It's my alone time. It's my time where I'm, you know, not looking at a screen. It's just me. I, I lift weights. It's my favorite thing to do. And so after I've worked out, it's oh, by the way, it's also when I listen to podcasts. So yeah. I can kind of like catch up on the news and all that. And then, you know, I come home, I have my coffee, take my kids to school, and then that's when I like shower and get ready and do all of that. But without my workout and then my my morning coffee. Oh, and then the other important thing is I started working with an executive coach a few years ago. And so depending on the day, I either do 15 minutes of a meditation or some sort of manifestation or some sort of hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Just sort of like center and get myself in a good place mentally. The last two years, I think for everyone has you know been challenging with the pandemic and figuring yeah. out your place at the office. And especially for me, having started a company a few years ago, that anything I can do to like keep myself mentally strong and fit pays off in dividends for myself, for my business, for my family. So if you have time to carve out some you know mental health time, I always think that's a good idea. That is sound because the mantra just kind of sinks in that we have a lot of negative talk and negative chatter that goes on and it's imperative to have the positive instilled and and repair rewire the subconscious so that you know you show up prime a hundred percent yes and you know in in marketing we were just talking about like some things may not work out and so like nothing's guaranteed so being able to have you know a strong mental space helps with being resilient and like dealing with all the crazy stuff that can happen on any given day 
Yeah, I totally agree. Um, tell us, the exercise piece is, is crucial. It's non-negotiable for me too because it gives you that energy, serotonin flowing. Makes you happier. Okay. You show up. I agree. Not just yes. looking fit, but like feeling good. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's that, and again, it's like the, the feeling part, right? Like if you start off your day getting the energy out, and, and to me, it's also starting out my day where like when I go to the gym and I, I don't do classes really, you know, like I go and lift weights. So it's, it's something that has nothing to do with my job, nothing to do with my family, but like seeing how I progressed, like, Oh, am I feeling stronger? Like, was I able to lift more? Like all of those things, you know, it gives me a place to just be by myself, kind of control my environment yeah. too. And then, like you said, it sets you up for, you know, a lot of energy and positivity throughout the day it transcends uh, in terms of even tenacity and drive. Like, oh, I did that this morning. I'm ready to take on entire whatever the day throws yeah. my way. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us, Amanda, where can we connect with you? Where can we find you? Yes, you can. Lots of places. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also, my website is arch-collected.com. If you want to meet with me, you can submit a form and, and schedule time with me. And of course, on social media, um, my handle on Instagram is at ProAnda. Um, and I put lots of content out about marketing and motherhood and being an entrepreneur and, and all the things. So, you know, connect with me any of those places. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, I, I want to talk so much more about marketing because you have such beautiful insight and I and you are pretty good at what you do. Thank you for doing what you do and helping a lot of these startups. Well, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate the kind words. It's been fun talking with you. Absolutely. All right, morning enthusiasts. That's it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in. If you love the best morning routine ever podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or Google Play. While you're at it, tell a friend about the show. Be sure to visit bestmorningroutineever.com and our Facebook group to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free bonus content. Until next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.